early chapters of Genesis. For modern readers, questions like, did God create the world in six literal days? Did he use evolution? How am I supposed to understand this text? Were Adam and Eve genuinely the genetic starting point for all humanity? How did that work, right? If Cain and Abel were the first naturally born humans, where did Cain find his wife? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Was the world flood local, regional, global? How did every land animal and insect get into and survive on the ark? Now, I want to acknowledge those questions make a lot of sense in a culture like ours that prizes scientific knowledge and naturalistic explanations for things, meaning we, be, we believe, whether it's true or not, I don't think it is, but we believe that there is a naturalistic um, understanding for all phenomenon. And I don't want to dismiss the importance of tackling those kinds of really, really good questions, especially questions that are genuinely seeking to find a common ground between God's special revelation, which is the Bible, and God's general revelation, which is creation, and the patterns and processes that we can learn from studying creation, which is science. And actually, I wanted to commend to you some resources. If you do want to do a deep dive into certain hot topics, so for example, um, if you want to understand the three views, three Christian Orthodox views related to creation and evolution, or four views of how theologians and scientists wrestle and grapple about the historical Adam, um, the Zondervan series, the multiple view series, is really, really excellent. These are things that I can pass along to someone who really wants to do a deep dive. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Your eyes will gla glaze over. You should sometimes only read three or four pages at a time. But these are the best theologians advocating for their particular position, which upholds the integrity of Scripture, and from their perspective, makes the most sense in terms of the scientific or natural data. So there are resources like this out there for those of us who are really wanting to dig into those questions. And they're important questions. But I think in the context of understanding the heart of Genesis, especially Genesis 1 to 11, which serves as kind of the part A story of the Bible that sets up the rest of the Bible, we should actually minimize those questions. Not dismiss them, but we should minimize them. I don't think it's healthy to make them a central pursuit of your faith. I've seen them distract people um, and actually draw them away from the deeper and more significant theological truths that the text is trying to make sure we see and understand. Case in point this morning, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. Almost a throwaway line might not catch our attention at all. If it does, it might catch our attention because it is a bit of that record scratch of, wait, what? God remembered? That kind of sounds like a strange or even wrong way of talking about God, right? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, how could he forget something? And in the context, how could God forget Noah while the flood was occurring, right? Uh, Chapter 7, verse 24, we read that the, flood, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So after the initial 40 days and 40 nights of deluge, this month-long extension of flood waters is happening. 
Like, are we to imagine that as the days and the weeks and the months unfold, God's mind kind of just drifted and he got caught up with something else in some far corner of the cosmos, right? You can kind of picture God doing this thing and then he kind of gets distracted, ADHD, and he goes over here in the corner and he's doing stuff and then the angel's like, uh, sir, sir, yeah, oh yeah, what is it? Oh, hey, Michael, come on in. Yeah, how's it going, God? Oh, pretty good. Did you, I forgot about this over here. This is so cool. I forgot that I had made this. I, uh, yeah, that, um, speaking of forgetting, um, I don't know if you remember, but like 130 days ago, this thing kind of happened. Oh yeah, yeah, tell me more about it. Yeah, um, remember when you unleashed that flood like way, way on the far side on earth? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's coming back to me. Yeah, I was gonna like destroy everything. Yeah, it, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with you. If I recall, it was a pretty good plan. Uh, totally was, sir. Um, well, um, it's been a number of months now and we're, some of us are just kind of wondering what you want us to do with, like, Noah and there. Noah? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, okay, let me gather my thoughts, and, and I'll get back to you, right? I mean, is that how we're supposed to picture? Is that the momentum the text is leading us to, the conclusion? Did God really forget Noah? Well, as you might anticipate, the answer is no. God didn't forget about Noah as a result of being some kind of absent-minded deity. Genesis 8.1 is the first of many, and God remembered so-and-so in the Bible. It actually becomes a theme throughout the Old Testament. And every time that phraseology occurs, God is moving into action in a way that decisively saves and delivers someone. And so when God remembers something, it's a, it's a turn of phrase that means God is taking the first step in providing divine help to his people. He's taking the first step to provide divine help. He's marshalling his full attention to bring salvation and rescue to this person. He's acting on a promise. God remembers Abraham in Genesis 19 and saves him from destruction. God remembers Rachel in Genesis 30 and saves her from barrenness. God remembers his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he um, moves into action to save the Israelites in Exodus chapter 2. God remembers Hannah and saves her from barrenness in 1 Samuel 1. When the Bible speaks of God remembering, the Hebrew word is Zakar. And Zakar does mean to remember, but it also means to bring someone to mind and to act on that person's behalf. It's not that they're forgotten, but now you're turning your full attention and marshalling all your forces towards this person's good. So when we encounter the phrase God remembered, it doesn't mean that God had forgotten. It's a figure of speech to indicate that God began to act decisively on the basis of his promise. And in the case of Noah, that promise from God was that he would save Noah and his family from the flood and bring them safely through it. Notice Genesis 7.24. I mentioned this before, but I want to have us just kind of pause here for a moment and meditate. After 40 days and 40 nights of rain, the Bible says, 
the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. This is sometimes where it's really important to slow down and as best we can inhabit the story, put ourselves in the story and imagine it playing out. That's a really powerful thing to do with the Gospels. If you come across a story where someone encounters Jesus, put yourself in the story. The person that Jesus is healing, maybe as part of the crowds in the peripheral, but here, imagine being on that ark and the calendar is clicking over. Day five, day 30, you're just kind of all, all right, no land in sight, just water, just bobbing there, right? Just moving where the current takes you. No way to direct the ship. Day 100, 120. Imagine what that would have been like. Now, there's no record of any interaction between God and Noah during that time. The Lord shuts Noah and his family into the ark, and that's it. And that's just rain and floodwaters. Silence for days and weeks and months. No end in sight. Imagine the faith it would have taken as each day and each week unfolds in a situation like that to continue to trust God. You no longer hear the voice of God. Noah has not given the plan of the blueprint. God didn't say, this is how long this part's gonna last and we're gonna move on to phase two and that's gonna last this long, then this is gonna happen. There's no blueprint. God has laid it out in very vague general terms. Noah has to trust. And after a few weeks, let's be honest, you'd forgive the guy if he began to wonder whether or not God was going to leave him bobbing about indefinitely. Now again, there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that Noah was either tempted in a meager or serious way to believe that God had forgotten him. He's held up throughout the Old and New Testament as a person of great faith and trust in God. But I've been through long stretches of time in my life where all I can see is the storm around me or the flood waters? There's no land in sight. I feel more or less directionless. And I know in speaking to many of you that you're in that place right now. I know that you've walked faithfully with God. You're striving to do the right thing. You are genuinely seeking to live out what God has shown and revealed to you. But all you see are floodwaters around you. All you see are storms. There is no end in sight. There is no land in sight. There's no interaction with God, no felt presence. It feels like God has withdrawn his presence from you. And you might be, have been a Christian long enough or um, you might know enough to kind of know God hasn't abandoned you and God hasn't forgotten you, but it, it's a felt experience every day. It feels like it. And with each day that goes by and week that goes by and month that goes by, that tension builds within you. And when we find ourselves in those spaces, and you will find yourself in those spaces, it, it's inevitable, you will. There are certain questions that begin to kind of bubble up and press in on us. And these are questions that are difficult to ignore. They're questions like, 
does God care about me? Right? I think of the disciples where they were in the storm and Jesus is sleeping and they rouse him awake and they're like, don't you care if we drown? Like, is this a game to you? Like, we're in a life-threatening situation and you're just like, at ease? Has God abandoned me? Because I feel like there's been a complete withdrawal of God's discernible presence. It doesn't matter whether I'm reading the Bible, praying at church, connecting with people. I just feel like God is very far from me. I feel very alone. I can't trace his hand. I can't kind of look at my situation abstractly and say, oh, I kind of have a suspicion of what God is doing. It just feels like I'm out to sea and I'm floating and I don't have my bearings. Have I done something wrong? Have I done some grand, serious sin that I am not aware of? And this, is this punishment or is this kind of God giving me the cold shoulder until I kind of wise up and, and straighten up? Why do I have to go through this? I wasn't given a plan. This thing happened to me. I'm in this situation now. God didn't tell me, hey, just so you know, this is going to happen and I'm going to lead you through it. I don't feel like I have a promise to hold on to. Maybe like Noah did. Why do I have to go through this? I can't, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't see a redemptive arc to this. And what can prompt these questions are different for, for each of us as people, but they usually arise as we find ourselves battling an illness, especially a prolonged one, having experienced serious pain or abuse at the hands of another person. We're moving through suffering, or maybe we're watching someone that we love very dearly in our life go through suffering. And so we're okay, but our hearts are breaking for someone else who isn't. And our prayer on their behalf is like, how long, O oh Lord? Please. Maybe there's just a passage of time, and, and when you were in the state that you were, it was kind of like, okay, I can handle this for a few days and a few weeks, but the weeks have s- slipped into months, and the months maybe have slipped into years. So there's this long silence and long absence of anything kind of happening. And as that silence increases, so do these voices of doubt and struggle. Um, those increase in our heart. Maybe it's just we decided to follow Jesus and we kind of had an expectation of how life was going to be. Maybe we felt like God put something in our heart and saying, this is what I want you to chase after and we're doing it. But it's just not happening. And our days are just honestly kind of unremarkable. It's just been a long time since you've had a powerful experience of God. And it's just sort of your, um, your sense of connection to God has just kind of slowly become thinner and thinner and thinner. And now it feels like it's paper thin. Maybe you're in a, a season where, kind of like Noah, you were in a particular kind of life and you know God's transitioning you to another kind of life, but you're kind of stuck in the middle. It's no man's land. The life that you had or the life stage that you've moved on from is gone. You'll never be able to go backwards but God hasn't actually brought you into the new thing that he's doing. And there's all kinds of anxiety and fear there because you don't know where God is bringing you. And from your vantage point, again, there's no land in sight. And so is God bringing you somewhere? All you know is what you've left behind. You don't see where God is taking you. These questions can emerge with an unexpected, unexpected loss, a tragedy that we absorb or someone close to us does. 
And when you're in these spaces, it's very natural to feel angry and even resentful and abandoned and cold and maybe indifferent, hardened. You can feel hurt. And certainly we often feel lost and directionless. That's, that's been my experience. And whether you're in a season like that now or not, I think it's, I think it's good counsel that everybody should commit these words to memory. But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. Because if you are his child, if you have entered into the ark that is Jesus, if you've yielded your life to Jesus, he has made you a child of God via adoption by his death and resurrection. And the Bible says that as a child of God, God sees and remembers you as well. You are not forgotten. You in your storm are not forgotten. You who are trying to stay afloat in the particular floodwaters that surround you, you are not forgotten. You who are trying to remain faithful when there's no relief in sight, you are not forgotten. You who are trying to move forward when, honestly, you don't see a path, you do not see a plan, you are not forgotten. You who are trying to just summon strength for another day, you are not forgotten. If you are adrift right now, and there's no land in sight, I want you to know that God remembers you. And if you, when you move into a space in the future, whether that's a year from now or a decade from now, and you find yourself in that space, I want you to recall to mind, but God remembered Noah, and to remember God remembers me as well. And I want to speak specifically to people who are sitting here today and who feel like they're at a breaking point of temptation to just give in to the idea that God has actually abandoned them. God has forgotten them. I want you to hear in a way that only the Holy Spirit can impress into the very deepest center of who you are that God remembers you. And what I don't want you to hear is that at the level of our understanding, which is, well, yeah, I, I get it. God's aware of everything, and therefore God is aware of me. The hope embedded in these words is that God sees you, and God is going to act again. The hope embedded in the phrase, and God remembered Hannah, and God remembered Jeff, and God remembered Lynn, and God remembered Dennis, is God will act again in your life and deliver you. In Isaiah 49, 15, there's a pretty powerful verse where through the prophet Isaiah, God says, let me throw out a hypothetical. Um, can a mother forget the baby that's at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? And the rhetorical answer, 
rhetorical answer is, well, of course not. What mother would forget a child that she loves and that she's nurturing and it's right there? And God says, even though she may forget, if you can push yourself to believing that it would be possible for a mother in that situation to forget, I will not forget you. So from a human perspective, the scenario that God points to is one that none of us would say it's even possible to forget. And God said, even if in that situation, a person could forget, I will not forget you. My love and faithfulness towards you eclipses and is deeper and wider and more expansive than even a mother nursing and caring for her child. And that means that means that God sees you. And that means that God loves you. And that means that God remembers you. And that also means that even in the fiercest storm and the highest floodwaters, and in a context where all our experience of God is simply just deadened silence, God is still at work, God still has a plan and God sees you. And you can trust God. That's why it's important to inhabit these stories. Because we're all gonna go through our own floodwaters. And they might not last a week or a month. Maybe they won't even be as short as 150 days. But God is with us, and God sees us, and God will bring us through. And so while we wait in anticipation of a powerful deliverance, our job is simply to be faithful to what God has shown us to do. And then every day seek to bring him honor and glory by being faithful to that mission. Let's pray. God, none of us are immune from the storms of life. It's tempting to believe that if we were walking with you and your power were at work in us, the obstacles and the hardships and the painful times would just be obliterated as a sign that you are with us. And yet, God, you took Noah and his family through the floodwaters for a very specific reason. And we might not be able to see from our vantage point right now the reason for the floodwaters that are surrounding us, the reason why it's taken so long for you to seemingly act, to deliver us, to be stuck in this situation. But God, teach us and show us that we can trust you. Help everyone here in a fresh way to hear and receive that you see them, that you love them, that you remember them. And help us to be faithful to you as we wait for you to lead us onto dry ground and a firm foundation under our feet. In Jesus' name, amen.